this is Jackie Tan and welcome to the Bodies Built Better podcast. On the show, I chat with experts, athletes, coaches and ordinary people doing extraordinary things. We explore the body's incredible ability to heal, adapt and evolve so you can crush limitations, reconnect your body and mind and discover your extraordinary potential. Today on the show, I chat with adventurer, writer, mother, presenter, and citizen of the year 2021, Hayley Talbot. If you haven't heard Hayley's story of solo kayaking the Clarence River, then you are in for a treat. In 2017, Hayley decided to kayak the 400-kilometer Clarence River, having never kayaked before. We talk about what it means to rely solely on yourself and the skills necessary to not only navigate the river, but to survive. We also talk about the Australian Black Summer, where the bushfires of 2019 and 20 burnt more than 46 million acres. Deeply impacted with this devastation, Haley shares how one small idea can have great impact. I could sing Haley's praises all day long, but instead I'll stop there and welcome you to this beautiful and inspiring conversation with Haley Talbot. Enjoy. Haley, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm super excited to talk to you because I think you're pretty darn amazing. Um, so inspired by you know, your achievements and your adventures and the initiatives that you've started. And you're such a leader and, and such a great role model. And, and so I really thank you for being here today and taking the time to chat with me. Um, and thank I you really, so much, Jackie. <laughs> thank you. Um, and I really just wanted to start with, you know, the biggest adventure that you've been on. And I, I'm guessing <laughs> that would be the solo 400-kilometre ki- uh, kayak of the Clarence River. Um, what blows my mind is when I read uh, on your website, you said that you'd never kayaked before, but you knew when the time came you would be the person you needed to be. Yeah. How, firstly, how does the, does the desire to come about to do something so enormous and potentially dangerous come about? And then where does this unwavering belief in yourself come from that you just knew you would be the person you had to be? I think because when I had the idea, I was wholly committed to, even though I wasn't ready, it was it was the faith that when the time came, I would be the person that I needed to be to achieve it because I would dedicate myself to the diligent preparation of the task so I had faith that I would take those steps and I would gain that knowledge and I would seek out the people that could teach me and I had whole faith in in the preparation I guess so it was it was the journey Um, and and that is reflected I think in the you know roughly two years that I took to prepare you know it wasn't something that I decided that I would do and then went off and did a couple of months later I really knew that starting from less than scratch in terms of certainly my kayaking ability 
um, that it if if I didn't put the time into preparing and being ready, then I was um, not honouring the faith that my family had in me to ultimately um, be at peace with allowing me to go. And, and I say allow, obviously not with a, a permission type of a meaning so much as, um, you know, it was a big deal for my for my husband to trust me as well, to trust me with my life, his wife, the mother of his children. We have two young sons. It was huge for him to exercise that faith in me as well. And so I really needed to honour that by being ready and by being sure that I was doing everything that I could to come home safely. Absolutely. And and what did all of that preparation look like? There was, um, I guess, from... So, so firstly, yeah, the trip that I did was a source-to-see, solo, unsupported navigation by kayak of the Clarence River on the north coast of um, New South Wales on... Uh, yeah, so... Uh, massive river system. It hadn't been done before. I felt a deep calling out to the river. And initially, I think it was a metaphor. You know, I had followed my husband to Sydney for his work. The kids were really little. I was suddenly pulled out of everything that I had known. I'd lived in Sydney before, but never as a young mother. And um, so I found, so that was, that was deeply challenging personally. Um, And uh, yeah, so I was, yeah, so so being separate from my family, I felt as though I was really dreaming of home and my community and this metaphor that I was travelling in my mind ended up becoming a, an idea that I thought, well, maybe if I actually do it, maybe I should just do it. You know, I was writing all of these fighting words to myself. I'm a prolific journaler. I'm always writing and I was filling journals full of these really provocative words to myself and it ended up getting to this point where it was like, well, why don't you just go and paddle that river? Why don't you go and do that? And it was a challenge back to myself and, and from there, once that decision was made, then it was accumulating the knowledge and the skills. So um, in terms of the prep, the first thing I did was get a $150 kayak off Gumtree. Um, so in terms, you know, like the money thing, I didn't let, I thought, okay, well, I don't have the resources to go and get the five and a half grand kayak that I ultimately needed to do the trip safely. This one was like 150 bucks, gum tree, picked it up with a guy in Bondi. The first time I put it in the water was at Palm Beach, like not even on the pit water, which was the flat water. I put it in on, on the beach side. So I had no idea what I was doing. I charged out through waves, um, made it out the back and looked back at the shore to my husband and my two little boys and just, was yeah it was kind of a watershed moment and I had a lot of those in the prep there were so many moments where um you know there were just incremental repeggings of the comfort zone I'd just peg it out a little bit further and grow into it peg it out a little bit further and grow into it so it was always a pretty gradual process but um generally just following my nose after the kayak purchase I had a baby carrier um like a hiking baby pack and I was just buying five kilo packs of rice from the grocery store and just adding to it, just making it heavier and heavier and heavier and hiking with the weight, getting out in the bush and getting comfortable in, in the bush and getting out on the water as often as I could and just getting my confidence up and trying to expose myself to as many different things as I possibly could from 
weather and wind and um, temperature and all different types of things like that. I really just wanted to try in my preparation um, to prepare so well that the expedition was a holiday. I heard um, you say in another interview that you had some jerks along the way <laughs> who <laughs> may be a little judgmental of your desire to do this. Yeah. I or think how you went about, about doing it. <clears throat> yeah, yes, all of the above. Um, it was... I think what I ended up doing um, was actually a dream that a lot of people had, I realised afterwards, um, and they hadn't done it for whatever reason. And here was this bubbly kind of lady who's got no skills <laughs> whatsoever saying that she's going to go and do this thing. And, um, yeah, like in retrospect, I kind of, I kind of get where some of these people <laughs> understand from, it now. You know? <laughs> they had a lot of experience. I had nothing, and and in in one respect, they were they were right. Like I had no idea what I was in for when I made the commitment to do the trip. I didn't know that there were waterfalls on the Clarence. I didn't know that there were impassable gorges. I didn't know that the first at least 150 kilometers of the river is barely paddleable like it's 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 climbing and dragging the river runs underground it runs through forests it's not something that you can easily navigate it it was incredibly challenging um and so yeah I kind of have a little bit of a chuckle about that now at, at the time you know there was uh, there were a few people sort of throwing a little bit of shade particularly around the boat that I chose to take um, I, a lot of people said you'll never make it down the Clarence in that boat and it was made of core flute which is like a light corrugated plastic so if you can picture like what real estate signs are made out of that's core flute so really really light plastic and I knew that I needed I, need, I needed a craft that was really light that wasn't a pack raft because of the nature of the terrain pack rafts would puncture and they wouldn't be so good on the long flat sections lower down the river. Um, so I'd, I'd ruled out a pack raft and then kayaks, so standard kayaks were just too heavy for me to manoeuvre knowing that I would have a lot of port sections at the top. I had um, gear that I needed to carry. Uh, so I really came across this boat because it was particularly light and it was also an origami style kayak. So basically is like an Ikea flat pack of, of watercraft. <laughs> <laughs> it, it folds, it comes down flat and it can be basically, well, I mean, it's a very big, awkward backpack, but it can collapse down into something that has straps that you can carry on your back. Um, so I never really used it for that particular function, but where it absolutely came into its own was in a couple of really dangerous moments that I had where I'd, um, I'd, I'd wrecked myself on some rapid sections and I'd completely sunk the boat and trying to salvage a boat from really fast flowing water is not only really dangerous but it's also practically impossible. The sheer amount of weight inside a boat certainly for one person to try and salvage was is near impossible but this particular boat because of the ratchets along the top of the boat was able 
albeit really roughly, and I, I did break the boat doing it, but I was able to pull the boat apart and flatten it out and sail it off some of these sections that I'd sunk the boat on and ultimately bring it ashore, put it back together and continue on. So it was the perfect boat and I'd take it again if I did it again. Yeah. Do you think not knowing, you know, parts of the river how dangerous or impassable, as you said, they were, do you think not knowing that was actually um, on your side, the, the reason why you did so well or actually the reason why you did go ahead with it do you think having known about those sections you may have thought twice I never would have thought twice but certainly in in that journey in that in that two-year lead up to setting off there were things that I found out about the river that terrified me that really caused me sleepless nights or that caused me to wake in the night and think what am I doing I did have those feelings a couple of times, but as far as I was concerned, I had already made the decision that I was going to do the river and whatever I learned in the lead up to the trip was something that I just had to accept and strategize around and have a plan for if I came up against that. So with the waterfalls, it became, I remember when I found that out, I probably had three days of feeling like, like my stomach had just fallen through the floor. I was thinking, you know, I'm I'm a completely novice kayaker. I have no whitewater kayaking experience. And now there's waterfalls on the trip. Like that was terrifying for me. And then to subsequently find out around 11 odd drownings had occurred in this particular section because of the nature of the way the water behaves was, was terrifying. I mean, I, I am a mother. I, even if I wasn't a mother, I would prefer to preserve my life and come home safely. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, yeah, so finding out those that info was probably three days of, of, oh, my God. And then, all right, this is a reality. I know this now. I have this knowledge. I have to find out, like, how to get around it safely. How am I going to navigate this section? And so there, from there, it was it was seeking out that knowledge, and and then I found the person that could guide me and teach me. I got that knowledge, and when I came down the river, I handled it like I I, I got through it, and that was probably one of the main rites of passage initiations on the trip was navigating that that gorge section. It was off the back of three days of probably the hardest scariest most dangerous part of the river so to come through that area and get to the lower gorge each night before that I'd been going to sleep at sundown but this night I just lay next to the river with my full body under just a blanket of stars feeling like you've you've done it like you've you're through the worst of it and you've earned the stars three nights before I remember looking at the stars thinking I, mean, I looked up and I gasped and I put my head down and I just wrote in my journal and I had this really funny moment where in the lead up and in the mire of young motherhood, I had been feeling, you know, it can be quite monotonous some days and I remember thinking, oh God, I just wish I was out next to a river under the stars next to a fire I'd built by myself with some peace and quiet and I'd had it this particular night. I got it just as I dreamed it and I looked at the stars. 
I looked down and I thought, no, I, I don't want to take that in without my boys. It's too beautiful. Um, but three nights later, when I'd got through this section, I laid my whole body under those stars and I was like, just, you know, take this in now, you've earned this. You're worthy of those stars. And, and then there was really this feeling of thinking that, anyone that I've ever loved, anyone that I've ever admired, anyone that I've wanted to emulate or be like since time began has laid under those same stars. And when we think of ceilings, they're not real. Like there was nothing between me and all that magnanimity. And um, I think that's when I changed and I didn't change back. How emotional was that? Because I, I, I mean, yeah, I'm, I can't even imagine what that would feel like. Just I'd been through so much to get to yeah. that. Like it was, I think that was it was nine days. It was that was night number nine of a 14-day trip. And in nine days, I'd been through so much. There was, yeah, just um yeah, it was on on so much spiritually, on a sensory mm-hmm. level. You're very, when you're in that sort of fight or flight survival mode, you're so in your senses and you're not in that everyday mind chatter that we're, we're in when we're just in civilised life, yeah. in a relative sense of safety with our basic needs taken care of. And out there you are wholly in your senses. Your senses are, and your intuition is what's keeping you alive. So you're not, you're not running to-do lists in your mind. You're just listening to the language of the water and you're smelling things like there was one part there where I was in a really remote spot and I smelled tobacco smoke and I thought okay there's someone here they can probably see me I can't see them so these these types of things that you tune into with your senses are are something that in our everyday comfort we don't tune into Mm. Yeah, but that night, that night number nine, where I laid under the stars, I thought, I don't care what's out here tonight. Like, bring it. I've earned it. I'm ready. Incredible. I want to talk a, a bit about, um, you know, your prep again in terms of those senses and learning how to smell those things because you learnt, um, obviously, navigation and 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 then how to hunt and forage and, um, obviously, the different medicinal uses of of these plants. How and where did you learn that? And did you? Did you use any of those skills? I mean, I'm sure you did, but, um, you know, what what did you use on the way? It's a really great question because I think I definitely, if you could call it, I mean, it's not over-preparing, it's just preparation, but I tried so hard to cover off everything that I might need to know how to do. Like I, I went, I learned how to, you know, stitch myself up and how to give myself a local anaesthetic and, and stitch myself up, how to stabilise broken bones. Like I tried to prepare for, for everything, how to apply a pressure immobilisation technique if I was bitten by one of the nine deadliest snakes in the world that happens to be on the parents. <laughs> these, you know, these types of things. In my, in my mind, you know, I think when you first come to a trip like this, uh, the first things that I was afraid of was sharks, snakes and spiders. And I realised later that that was nowhere near the top of the list of things that I needed to be um, concerned about. Number one, public enemy number one was absolutely the water. The water was the most dangerous part of the trip that I did. So I really needed to accumulate a healthy respect of water, um, learn its different languages, learn um, 
you know, when when to be on the water, when to not be on the water. Um, then it was Tell us really more important. about that. Yeah, well, where where I did use that, where that really did come into its own, um, there are a few there are a few kind of key moments. One of them was when I'd gone up to see an elder uh, up river. So the river travels through three indigenous nations. It travels through Bunjalung, Gumbangir, and Yagel country. I live downriver on Yagel country, so these two nations are further up river, um, and. And there are different leaders in different areas. They have different names for the river. They have different but similar stories. So it was important for me to travel this, this hallowed ground that hadn't been navigated in this particular way um, as culturally aware and respectful as I possibly could. Um, so I had sought out leaders in, in those areas to learn from them. This was their country. I wanted the blessings so that I wasn't upsetting any energies out there uh, and also how I could travel the river safely. So learning about things that I could eat and plants that I could use. Um, and so, yeah, and I, and I learned incredible things. Like our, our Indigenous knowledge is, you know, just because we don't revere it like we revere like a PhD from a university doesn't mean that it's not the most incredible intelligence and wisdom. In fact, I mean, I would argue that it is even more so. It comes with 70-odd thousand years worth of perfection. And so to learn things like when the wattle is flowering yellow, the turtles are fat, so you can dive for the turtles. And all these other magical signs that nature teaches us about where we can find food and how we can find food was just breathtaking. And I think in an entire lifetime, one person would never be able to accumulate that knowledge, knowing that all over Australia are Indigenous nations on different country with different weather and vegetation and, and animals on offer. So um, getting to have... Um, more of an intimate knowledge of the country that I call home and the country that I live on was incredibly connecting and powerful. And I was really on a journey of grow, give, learn, teach with my young son. So as I learned these skills, if the boys weren't out learning them with me, then I was coming home and teaching them and practicing with them and um, really trying to bring my little boys on this journey that I was on. And if I can rewind a little bit to how it sort of started to come about, it was because you know, I'd, I'd become a mother and I had little boys and I just remember looking at their little faces thinking, like, I, I don't know what to teach you. I don't know. What do I know? Like, um, and it became important to me to try and um, learn more so that I could give them more. And and it, so it was an incredible journey as a family, this the preparation for this trip. Um, sort of jumping back to, like, the language of the water, this elder that I'd gone to see upriver, um, I told him what my dream was and what I really wanted to do and he just looked me in the eye and he said if you're going to do this you need to go now the water's the safest place for you go now get on the water it's moving just leave and so he really he he spoke to me like like a father you know he was really he was worried about the trip that I was doing because the river's incredibly dangerous um, and he just said the time is, is important it's important for you to go now so based wholly on his advice I left 
And he was right. I was bookended by weather, like wild weather, either side of the 14-day trip that I took. Um, and there's a section in the middle. I mean, the river's really, really remote. It's a really remote area. Um, I'd been to see the police before I left. I was trying to talk to as many different people as I could um, and to get advice from wherever I could. And I'd said, this is the trip that I want to do. And the police were... Um, they, I think their first comment was, oh, well, we caught Malcolm Naden, so you should be right. And Malcolm Naden at the time was a fugitive that had killed people and he'd been on the run for something like seven-odd years and there ended up being one of two spots where he could be and one of them was this area where I was travelling through. And So it's an area that was colloquially kind of talked about as the Bermuda Triangle because none of the police local area commands claims dominion over this particular area of the river so their words were like if you get into trouble out there no one's coming for you um so that was pretty chilling you know to hear that yeah I just got goosebumps yeah it was and and then and then also from some of the indigenous leaders that I spoke to they were like look we don't know who's out there um some of the farmers that I spoke to we don't know who's out there um so there was this constant thread from all of these independent places and people who didn't know each other but who knew the country that if I got into trouble out there no one was coming for me so um, that was pretty chilling to grapple with Um, and in fact um, one of when I got to this area there's a particular stretch that I just really wanted to get through as quickly as I could and um, I planned to arrive there I thought I'll try and get through it I was, I don't know, I was thinking one of two ways, either either get through it in daylight and just punch it through or go through it under the cover of darkness. And as it turned out, when I got to the beginning of this section, everything went wrong. I, um, I already had a broken boat that I'd sunk on the morning of the second day. I'd badly injured my arm in that accident. I found out later that I'd fractured it and I had soft tissue tears in two spots. Um, but at the time I just changed my stroke, stabilised my lower arm. I was rotating at the shoulder instead of um, pulling so much with my lower arm and was really trying to do most of the work with my left arm. Um, But after that accident, the boat was broken. I had um, crushed, completely crushed the cockpit. So I had um, a couple of duffel bags and after that accident, the duffel bags squashed the boat completely flat so my legs didn't fit in the boat anymore. My knees were up around my chin and I paddled the last 12 days of the trip with, yeah, with my legs out of the boat and then this injured arm. So um, I didn't really find out about that. I mean, I was in a fair bit of pain, but, but I'd got to this top of this dangerous section where they'd said get through it quickly and after that accident, I wasn't running rapids that I couldn't see down the other side of because I couldn't afford to sink the boat and hurt myself more. Um, so I'd got to the top of this section and I came around the corner and there was a rapid, like a grade four rapid, I reckon it was. Like it was just a big wave train. There's no way I could have run it without sinking. And I pulled the boat over and everyone had said, whatever you do, don't get off the river, don't get off the river. If you get in trouble, just stay on the river and keep going. And um, there was no, I had to get off the river. There was no way I could get, I could run this section. Um, the whole river was funneling through this 
sort of mini gorge section. The water was fast and it went around a bend. So I didn't know how much further it went for. So I'd had to pull off. And then it was a big boulder garden. Like there were boulders that were, I was having to climb, properly climb and then launch bags over and then drag the kayak up. So it was, it was pretty serious climbing just to get around it. And then down to the other side, and by that stage, the light was going and I thought, this is exactly where I didn't want to be. I'm in exactly the section that I didn't want to be. I'm off the river and it's nighttime. And so that was a, a real moment where I thought, okay, you know, this is, this is the worst case scenario right now. Um, so short of coming across another person while I was there. So I ended up pitching my tent in the river I didn't light a fire that night because I didn't want anyone to know that I was there and I went to sleep and I just, to the roar of the water, I mean, if the river had to come up overnight, I would have been in a lot of trouble, but that was a chance that I took. I just didn't want to go back from the river. And um, the next morning I woke up really early and the nature of the river, so where I was, I was on a really dangerous stretch of water. So every single morning I was waking up to white out fog, like, it was completely you couldn't see anything in the fog and so I couldn't safely get back on the river in a whiteout either but the fog wasn't clearing until about 10 or 11 a.m each day but I needed to get moving because I wanted to get out of there so I ended up deciding that I'm going to take my chances with the water I don't know what's around me I'm just going to go and I packed up my stuff and I hit the river and I paddled for five hours in a complete whiteout, navigating entirely off the sound of the river. So that for me was like where so much of my preparation came to the fore and I just had to trust my senses and just go with nature. And five hours I paddled in the white and I was mostly just saying my children's names on each stroke. I was just... Archie Phoenix, Archie Phoenix, just saying their names, staying present, but just keeping my mind on task and not letting it run away on itself. Um, and literally five hours later, I the fog started to clear and it was a beautiful day and I just had this apprehension of safety wash over me and I knew that I was all right. I was through the worst of it. But that was a particularly challenging section. That's incredible. What what were you what was the water telling you in those moments? I think that I was going from someone that was feeling small and afraid to a spiritual feeling of broadness and vastness and I felt really held. Mm. I felt like I was going to be all right. And I was just trusting that if I just kept moving and I just kept going, that I was I was going to be all right. So even though I didn't know what was around me or what was ahead of me, I did have this feeling that someone or something was going ahead of me clearing the way. And um, yeah. I had that I had that feeling quite a few times out on the river. It was deeply spiritually moving and connecting actually it's it's one of the questions that i that i do have for you and that is 
you know, in those moments in the water, but also when you're out camping and you're underneath those stars, do you, do you feel protected by the stars, the moon, the earth, nature, everything? Or do you feel at one with everything around you? Yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. You have this feeling where like form kind of melts away yeah. and you feel like you're part of everything. Yeah. And it and I think that feeling, if you tune into that, it only gets stronger and more powerful. Um, each time I really have time alone in nature, I'm spoken to in ways that still I mean, if I was saying that it was coincidental at this point, I'm just a fool mm. um, because it speaks. If you if you listen, if you listen, it speaks, it guides. I'm astounded that I can run nearly every morning in the dark and run the same trail that I've run since I was a little girl that I now take my sons out on. I do the same run and... I always do it in the dark, so I'm a little bit afraid, so I'm a little bit in my senses, so I don't really know what's around me. And every morning I'm practically the same person and the trail's practically the same trail. But every morning I come home and I open my journal and some new voice will have spoken some new thing that I didn't know the day before. Mm. And I think when you're creating that space, those whispers that society tends to speak over the top of. Yeah can cut through yeah that's incredible and it's almost uh, almost a little sad that that a lot of us don't have that connection um, or have lost that connection because of everything that's surrounding us and happening around us and being spoken to in (laughs) in all different forms as well like what we hear what we see and yeah so that's incredible it's so true. There's just we're, we're hit with so much. It's such a it's such a radical act to to create space for silence and yeah. stillness. It's something that doesn't come naturally to us anymore. Yeah, I feel like once it did, and and now there's just so much pressing in all the time that um, it has. It's a it's a conscious effort to carve time for silence and stillness. Yeah. And get back to nature. Yeah, I think, and I think on a like, I think we all need it. I mean, it's a tonic. It, it is. It is a tonic that I think that we all need. Even just the color green. Even just yes. being in the bush. You know, the color blue, like the ocean. Those actual colors, just to see them and to immerse in them and to be with them, is something that just settles over us in a way that feels so primal and natural and yeah yeah, we we get so so right and we my husband and I recently um experienced that because we've recently moved from Adelaide to Sydney and it's actually really quite different in in the sense that you know, walking around the the streets that we're living, it, it's so green and we've got these luscious trees and parks and you just there's some of that in Adelaide but it's so much drier and so yeah as soon as you said you know those colors that's exactly what came to me just the greenness of all the foliage and it is it's really important to surround yourself with nature definitely 
I think it is too. And sometimes for people that haven't really spent a lot of time in nature, maybe initially it's a bit, um, oh, what's the big deal? Or what's, you know, there's sort of these, sometimes it can take some time to really drop in. Like it can take like that actual slow down time. Um, It doesn't necessarily come naturally to everybody, but I would say like if you stick with it and you just, try and drop into it Mm. when you start to tune in like you'll you'll see nature folds back in around you it always astounds me that when I'm out and you know I might be kayaking or I might be running or I might be hiking or you know on the move um nature still will fold in around you if you're typically if you're rhythmic you know if you're not being erratic but when you stop when you stop and you just stay still not much happens initially, but in a little while, it, you're enveloped. It folds back in around you. Birds will come close to you. Creatures will, you know, things will come in around you. I always have incredible nature events with particularly animals when I'm still. Oh, <laughs> tell us more. <laughs> what encounters have you had with animals? <laughs> uh, I think... Um, I mean, one that comes to mind, oh, I've, had, I've had so many. I had a, what was the one that I had the other day? Well, I mean, I could definitely tell you one that comes to mind, which was truly just sort of just shake your head at it, um, was I was out in the bush one day and I was um, upriver and I just had something to eat and I was throwing some toast at some butcher birds I had bread and, and the butcher birds were coming in and they were they were eating the bread that I'd been kind of the crumbs that I'd been throwing out and probably two hours later I was reading a book and I heard a rustle like a rustle in the leaves and your instinct is to look you know when you hear a sound you look and primarily I'm always on the lookout for snakes um, and so I heard this rustle I looked and there was a big king brown coming out of the leaves and it was probably five meters or so from me it wasn't behaving overly aggressively but it's still a snake that will kill you um and and they can they can turn on a dime too like they're not sort of they're like a bull or any other creature like they can just go from being peaceful and calm to striking and so I saw it coming out very much towards me looking at me, coming towards me, um, I started to move slowly away. I just wanted to try and back away really slowly and give it the opportunity to travel through where I was. And as I was getting up to move back really slowly, it had closed in and was probably three metres or so from me. Out of nowhere, this little tiny butcher bird comes down and starts attacking the snake, starting in and out and in and out and in and out like this little kamikaze bomber, like it was just going in and pecking the snake and flying back out and it was breathtaking. And I stayed perfectly still and I watched this tiny bird just fend off this creature that I was so scared of. And the snake started to behave as though, like if someone was pecking you, you know, you'd be kind of like, you know, shrugging your shoulders and yeah. scrunching your face up and, yeah. and kind of like sucking your head flinching, away from it yeah. and flinching, exactly. And um, can I just watch this snake through a total right angle away from me and just slither off with this bird following it and just pecking it until it went well away and into the long grass. 
And I mean, call it what you want, but uh, I was there. I felt it. I experienced it. It seemed as though it was totally protecting you. Yeah. One of them. It was amazing. And it was such a, a moment where, like, in our human minds, we place ourselves at the top of this, you know, this ego pyramid concept when when you're in nature, you really experience that you're in the eco circle. And so here was this snake that is such a fear of, of a human in the bush and this tiny butcher bird, you know, at this moment, the snake was just in the eco circle and this bird was getting it and it had to get away because if the bird, you know, if a butcher bird gets a good nick on a snake, it will, it'll get an injury, it can get an infection, the snake will die, the bird will wait for the spell and it'll come down and eat the snake. And so that's the circle that we're in. We, mm-hmm. we feed each other. And I've had similar experiences with like, you know, not, not this one wasn't, didn't directly involve me. It was more of an observation, but a funnel web, you know, is a spider that we're ultimately absolutely terrified of. But a black swan, which where I live, we have black swans here. A black swan will just eat a funnel web in one one mouthful. Just graceful, <laughs> beautiful black swan, one mouthful will eat this creature that can kill us. And so those kind of like moments where you're like, wow, you know, this is a circle and we're yeah. all in it. Yeah. We all have a place in it. And um, those moments, I think, are, yeah, really, really powerful moments. Absolutely. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I love that story. Um, let's get back to let's get back to logistics. Mm. Um, what did you take with you? Because you it was was it twelve days? It was fourteen. Fourteen, yeah, 14 days. days. Fourteen days. So it was really important to me to do this trip as authentically as I could. And part of how that looked for me was that I wanted to survive purely off the river and the land. I wanted to be catching my own food and foraging and drinking from the river. And so all of my prep involved getting those skills, so learning how to find witchetty grubs and how to catch bass and how to smoke fish and how to trap rabbits and birds and I did courses in that. So my first port of call was to seek out professionals that I could learn from. So I did a formal bush navigation. I did a formal bush survival course and a wilderness navigation course and tried to take formal courses in those things. And I did that alongside spending time with um, Indigenous leaders specific to where I live and then also just outdoors people who that spend time on the river and that know know the area well so I tried to take a broad um, view of my preparation in that way and then I watched heaps of YouTube clips like I YouTubed a lot of things as well to learn um learning yeah um so I guess that was yeah that was really it like I just tried to align myself with people who had more knowledge than me which wasn't difficult because I had I came at the entire trip with a beginner's mind and I think when you turn up with a beginner's mind people are so willing to share their knowledge they really do want to help you and I found that time and time and time again on my trip um, when I was learning how to paddle I reconnected with um, an old high school teacher who had been my cross-country running coach and he um he owns property up on the river and someone had said, oh, you should get in touch 
um, with this man. He'll he'll be able to, you know, give you some info about that section of the river. And I remember ringing him and saying, oh, I've got you. I really want to paddle the river. I want to do this course to see. And the first thing he said to me was, you're a dickhead. It's a shit river. Sobering. <laughs> I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. And, um, and it was... Uh, it was very sobering and hilarious. And it's, we, we laugh and laugh and laugh about it now because he was on the sand in tears the day that I paddled in. And it was just, yeah, it, it was a beautiful journey. And then that was part of it too. Like I think the river itself was this solo unsupported thing. And as I got further down the river, I, I relinquished um, that notion of doing it uh, all by myself in the sense that, I started to run into people as I got further down the river that um, just wanted to be a part of what I was doing. Um, it was, and so I realised, look, I'm not trying to set any records here or get in any record books. Like I, a huge part of this for me was reconnection as well, like connecting with people. And, um, um, but yeah, yeah. So I had a lot of really great moments with, people even though the river itself was a trip that I did every stroke of by myself I just had beautiful experiences with people and the river just still to this day opens doors I'm still meeting people and having amazing connections with people and that was something that I didn't expect from the Mm. trip you know doing a solo trip I I don't know what I expected but I just I didn't expect to connect with so many people from following my truth did you seek out people like during that time when you would when you would get off the river or did you see them and then how did that how did that work when you came across people so as I got further down I think some of the first people I saw were at a campground and I so like a rough campground like a public sort of a, a campground and I paddled into this flat pool and someone whistled at me and I looked over and um, and it was a couple, like a, a man and a woman, and and the man had yelled out and said, um, are, you, are you that ridiculous girl doing that ridiculous trip in that ridiculous plastic boat? And I was like, yeah, that's me. Ah, <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs> and so, like, I paddled over and they said, do you want a cup of tea? And, and I said, yeah. So, like, it was moments oh, like that wow. where I was like, I'm letting go of this idea that I had of this trip. Um, you know, I know how I prepared and I, I know how I went into that trip. But in moments like that where I'd ran into this couple that, yeah, do you want a cuppa and sit down and <laughs> tell us about it? And as it turned out, she was a nurse and she looked at my arm and she um, she strapped it for me and, um so that was there were moments like that that were really lovely I didn't see certainly in that top section section I didn't see many people but as I got down lower so kind of up from day 10 for the last days I was getting down and really seeing more and more people as I got down to civilization and the funny thing about that was so often in some of the hard parts up river I kept thinking, oh, as soon as I get to the flat water, I'm safe. I'll be fine once I get to the flat water. Um, in my mind, that that was when the danger was going to stop. I didn't have to be so aware of rapid and debris and trees and all different types of things like that. But the crazy thing was that when I got to the flat water, 
that space that I had been operating from really deeply in my senses and really in that survival fight or flight mode, when I changed gears out of that, when I got back to sort of more familiarity around sort of Grafton, downriver of Grafton, these are places like that's a big, the city, I mean, it's a, it's a regional city, like it's a big area. Um, that's when I became human again and that's when it got hard. I was suddenly feeling pain. I was exhausted. I was cold. Um, it was quite a, it, I really didn't expect that to notice that changing of gears so much. Um, so it became a, a new set of challenges when I got lower down the river. And I think that's when all of the mental preparation that I'd done really kicked in. Prior to that, it hadn't felt quite so mental. There were moments like I referenced before when I was in the fog and things like that that I would have to coach myself through to a degree, but it really went up another notch mentally when I got to relative safety. Mm. Do you think you're running on adrenaline as well? <clears throat> like, you know, before all of that, when the river is, you know, tough and where there are obstacles, it's just adrenaline and get through it whereas when it's flat it's it, yeah you do I totally agree I think that's exactly what it was it was yeah the adrenaline of um staying alive making good decisions staying alive yeah and then when I sort of got down to this relative apprehension of safety then it was oh yeah I really I it felt like I became human again and I had all of the human things that you would expect to have from a trip like that and then I had something like 150 kilometres still left to paddle in that headspace. So that was challenging. And then the tides started to hit me as well. Um, so that added another layer of um, difficulty. So the whole thing was certainly a challenge really for different reasons. Yeah, incredible. So what are you telling yourself in that moment or in those moments because you had 150 kilometres to go? <laughs> it's quite a while. Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't remember so much of the self-talk through there. I, I feel like I had, um, there were key things I was saying to myself up the top, but down low, it just was a grind. It just felt like, okay, you've, you, you're nearly home. Let's get this done. Let's push through. But it was a, it was a struggle. I remember really starting to struggle at the end. I'd love to know, what how you're feeling and what you remember of day one and then what you felt and what you remember of that last day oh it's so lovely to think of um to think of it like that day one was every all of the plans went out the window from the get-go I would have to say because I had I'd, I'd got a friend to drive me out to near the source of the river and I'd said goodbye to my family at home. I'd, you know, kissed my children and my husband goodbye and very much in our house where we were comfortable. And I left and then I became the person that I needed to be to do this trip. I really, there was a delineation of roles from that point. Um, I left and then there was a job to do and a dream to achieve. And I had this friend drop me out there who was ex-Navy. Um, he really understood when I needed to be, when I wanted silence, when I wanted to be really internally um, priming for leaving. Um, and as we were getting out to the source, we were absolutely in the middle of nowhere. Um, we got there really late at night 
and the plan was for me to set off early the next morning. And right when I went to go, he turned the car on to leave and the car wouldn't start. And we were in the middle of absolute nowhere. And I thought, oh, I can't, I can't just like take off on this river trip now and leave my friend out here in the middle of nowhere with the car broken down. And we were in the absolute middle of nowhere. And so at that point it was like, okay, I don't know if I'm starting this today. Like we've got to go and get the car going first so he can leave. So we started to leave the camp and walk back along this dirt road. And I kid you not, within we wouldn't even have gone a full kilometre. It was probably only a few hundred metres and we could hear a car. And we sort of looked at each other and he was kind of smirking at this stage. I think he thinks that, um, I think that he thinks that I have quite a few experiences like this and I probably do. I would have You to have say, this power. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but it was incredible because we heard this engine and two four-wheel drives showed up and we waved them down and these lovely, lovely guys jumped out and we said, oh, we've, we need to jump. The car won't start. And they said, oh, no worries. Um, you know, they were, they worked for one of the energy companies. I think they were electricians themselves and they didn't have jumper leads, but they had copper in the back. So they knew how to make jumper leads. They made leads, came back to the car, jump started the car, got the car going. And then they were like, what are you guys doing out, out here? And I said, oh, I'm just about to start this trip and told them about the trip that I was doing. And, um, and my friend Lucas had said, oh, how often do you guys come out here? Like, how, like, are you guys out here very often? And the guy just sort of shook his head and smirked and looked down and said, we come out here about once every two years. And so they just happened to be exactly where we needed them to be at the wow. moment that we needed them to be there. It was such a beautiful moment. Like, we, yeah, it was crazy. And I, so... We, t I, we talked about this trip and I said what I was doing and one of the guys gave me, he had a radio in his car, it was like a little handheld radio and he gave it to me and he said, put it on at night, it'll keep the dingoes away, it'll keep the, the white noise, it'll keep the dingoes from coming into your camp. And and so I, you know, I took this radio from this man and we all like hugged and kissed and like we were kind of like in tears. And so he was like we're in the middle of nowhere and all of a sudden I was leaving for this trip with like, a party of five waving me off with these <laughs> random gorgeous men that we'd just met and my friend and me with my little radio and it was so lovely and um so yeah I set off from there and just with a heart full of just excitement and I remember when I got out of sight of them because I, I kept looking back and they were waving and um and then I got out of sight down into sort of a pool and I started to really pull away and then I stopped looking back and then I was like, oh, you're here. Like you're yeah. really here. Everything that's led you to this moment is to come to this and we're doing it. And I had mapped out my camps on the maps. The river covers about 17 sort of big maps and I had them in my lounge room for two years. They covered four walls and I had my camps um, pinned on where I wanted to get to every day. Um, so that my family could follow me on the maps in the lounge room and see where I was. And um, day one, I needed to cover about 18 kilometres. And as the sun was going down, I'd covered about five. So the combination of starting later, but also the nature of the terrain, I think I paddled one sort of little pool at the beginning. And then after that, it was just a tangle of rapids and branches and trees and I only, yeah, covered about five kilometres on that first day. 
I had to camp rough. I didn't make it to where I wanted to to get to. And so it all started to get pretty sobering at that point. All of my plans for the camps that I wanted to get to on all of the subsequent days were chucked out the window. So yeah, my my ideas around how the trip would go were derailed from the very get-go. Um, but that first night that I, you know, lit a fire and fell asleep, I just had the biggest smile on my face. And then I woke up and had that feeling of like, oh, that was a crazy dream, but unzipped the tent and I was very, <laughs> very much alone on the river. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was um, yeah, all the feels on that day, like to have prepared and then to have finally got out there. Um, and then the last day, like I'd been through so much in the intervening days. Um, the last day was a camp um, near, not too far from the mouth of the river. The idea was to paddle in in the morning so that, you know, the kids could be there before school. We have a little farmer's market in town on a Wednesday morning as well. So it was a Wednesday morning and the car park was full of people. And um, and I awoke on that last day with just this feeling of happiness. I've got um, one of my best friends, is her husband's a, a cricketer and he's the advice that he'd given me was, um, was the, you know, the last leg will go the quickest, just slow down and enjoy every moment of it. Really, really be present. Don't be either side of the moment for the last little paddle in. And it was such beautiful advice. It was exactly what I needed. Like I, I hoped that I would sort of do that anyway but the reality was I wasn't I was so excited to get back to my yeah. family I was so excited to finish this thing and have this dream that I'd had and and so that I found that advice really quite um soothing to me that morning I I tried to get on the river um you know calmly and I had a beautiful experience the night before I camped right on the very bank of the river and it was a section of river that was really really deep and the the bank dropped immediately down into really deep water and my tent was pitched right on the side of the river and I had dolphins herding fish into the bank right where I was and I could just hear their exhalations like they were in the tent it was truly such a magical moment of having this pot of dolphins right in just chasing fish in to my tent basically um so that was like, yeah, really, really beautiful experience to stick with them and um, getting up and getting on the river. I was a little bit apprehensive taking off because it was one of the widest, deepest parts of the river and it's notoriously sharky. Like it's, um, we have, I think it's the third highest population of bull sharks in the world inside the Clarence River. They come in to breed. Um, they, they move in and out. They go pretty far up river because they'll go into brackish water as well. Um, and so it's it's a notoriously sharky section, and I was in my flimsy plastic boat, and I was a pretty um, it was a bit of an intimidating crossing going from the side of the river that I was on to the side that I needed to get to. Um, but I just yeah, so I paddled. It was a two-hour paddle on the last morning to just get back to to get home, and I remember coming up the middle of the river and on the inside of there's a there's a big wall, a rock wall in the middle, and I was trying to peer over the top of the rock wall to see if there was anyone on the sand and like I'd get my head above a rock a little bit and it didn't look like anyone was there and I remember just thinking oh you know I don't care if anyone's there as long as my husband and my kids are there you know 
that's that's all that matters. And I got to um, around the end of the wall and the water, um, the feeling of going from the river to the sea was, oh, it was such an overcoming feeling because I was paddling home when the trawlers were coming into the river from coming in from the night's catch. And I remember being next to the trawlers and then getting very much into waves, ocean waves and going up and then down. And so that was a really powerful feeling to feel like oh, I'm at the sea now, like I'm not in the river anymore. This is the ocean. And then paddling around that middle wall, feeling feeling the sea kind of pick me up and, and wanting to kind of keep taking me out. So as I came around the middle wall, I had to really put my head down and just I was doing 100 strokes at a time and then checking my position and then putting my head back down because it was quite a challenging paddle um, to come around into the beach where I needed to go. And as I turned the corner, I could just see, like, these colourful <laughs> dots on the sand and um, oh, paddling into just a wall of faces from my whole life was overcoming. It was my year eight science teacher, um, you know, just random beautiful faces from my life that came down to clap me in and um I think I'd visualize the end so many times like if you have a like you have to have a vision of what the dream looks like and in that vision you have to see it working otherwise you won't believe that it can work and so for me I had this really clear vision of what the end looked like, but I never, ever, ever could have imagined the faces that would be there, the people who would be there, the look of pride on their faces. Like I I never, ever, ever in all of my visualisations felt the feeling of seeing people I care about so proud of me. That that was something that really could have knocked me over with a feather. Like people were crying. People were I was going to say, but like, there would not have been a dry eye. There, there, there wasn't and for me like I'm just trying to yeah just taking that in and soaking in that and and then I got onto the sand and then people wanted me to talk you know they wanted to hear what I had to say and I just tried to open my mouth and it was, I only got a few words out and then I it and it was just like my mum had like these lays like she had these flower lays made and people had champagne and it was and like people had given their kids off the morning off school to come and like see me on the sand and it was just gorgeous it was so beautiful it was such a lovely lovely moment and and it wasn't in my visualization it was better yeah absolutely would you say that was kind of the best moment for you the end or, or were there several because I'm sure there there are a lot of moments that were incredible yeah there were a lot of incredible moments I think a really powerful moment was uh the day before was another one where I'd come down the river and I paddled past my high school and my high school that I went to is on the river and I remember being a 15 year old girl in class looking out the window at the river and it was the most boring thing in the world I couldn't wait to leave my little regional town and get to the big smoke and chase my dreams in the city and everything about home was boring when I was a teenager you know and um and I had this moment where I stopped and I just like 
blew my 15 year old self a kiss and waved and here was this adventure of a lifetime that I just had and it had been under my nose all along it was such a powerful moment of of perception you know of the lenses that we wear here was this river the river hadn't changed but the way that I looked at it had changed my whole life and that was really powerful to come back as a grown woman and to ride that river home. I never would have thought as a teenage girl looking out at the river that I'd be the first person to first source to see the yeah. river. And yeah, that was pretty special. That's incredible. When when you look back on that whole experience, obviously obviously it's really clear because you're able to talk about so many of those experiences do you look back and in awe like do you believe that you really did that and that it happened it's funny because you have this you have this dream and you you see it in your mind for a couple of years in the lead up and then you you go out there and you're present you you do it and it's like 14 days and now it's 2021 and, you know, we're years on the other side of it as well. And it's funny how your, your perception and your understanding shifts and changes. I think I look at photos of myself before the trip and I, I listen to the way that I talk. Um, and it's, um, it, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing to see how much you change and because I journal I journal all the time so I was journaling on my trip so I very much have a real account of how I was feeling on the river I think that it's something too that like you don't I I wonder if people sometimes think that I went I suddenly was this person that could do all these things like it wasn't like that at all yeah. like it's all been very gradual mm. and it's all just been pushing myself in small moments and yeah. so I think there's like anyone can do it it's just mm. a gradual comfort that you get being you know alone or I remember even just like little things like like if it was a storm like going for a swim at the beach obviously you make sure it's not really dangerous you know you have awareness of don't encourage people to go and drown themselves but you know like like going for a storm swim or going for like a walk in the pelting rain or going some you know just being in inclement weather and shifting your mind from oh this is terrible I'm cold this is awful this is miserable to like I feel alive this is energy I'm in the center of it and like starting to make friends with that energy like they're all things that anyone can do just it's just a decision you know exactly Um, a decision to be a little bit uncomfortable and to sit in it and feel how it feels and that's been yeah I think that's how it started um but there's a quote that I really love and it's we write to taste life twice and I'm someone who's very much in the moment in my senses wholly present when I'm in an experience and I love later when the poetry brews and and the words come and and then the meaning that floods the experience that I had I really really enjoy that process um but yes it's a funny peculiarity of these types of things that the dream itself you know I was out there for two weeks but all of the meaning and all of the perception and all of the lessons 
come either side of the experience. And oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, at least, at least that's been my experience. Yeah, yeah. Do you do you think about what's next? Do you do you think about what you did and go, well, if I did that, I can do something bigger, and or you know the the sky is the limit or rather there is no limit. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Something I really realised on that trip was that um, the words anything is possible, it's not a cliche, it's a threshold. It's something that once you step over that, then you believe that anything is possible. And for me, the, the river was that for me. Once I did that, I was like, especially that night where I was under the stars and I thought, you know, we talk about ceilings, there's no ceilings, like there's nothing between me and all of that. And so that definitely um, has guided a lot of things that I've done since, not necessarily in the adventure space, but um, with community projects and in business and um, that, that anything is possible threshold for me is such a North Star in the things that I take on. Um, in terms of other adventures, I I feel as though I've got something brewing, but I'm not I'm not forcing it right now. In the past, I've forced it. I've been, yes, I'm going to go and do this, and I need to find something, and I need to go and prepare, and I'm going to do exactly what I did. And I've realised that it's it needs to be more natural than that. Yeah. It needs to be more organic, especially if you're going to wholly commit to it. Um, so at the moment, I've got I've been working on a film for um, gosh probably three years now. Uh, that should be done in the next few months. And this film is taking people up the river, um, but not so much on an adventure, so much as on a journey to protect it. This river that I fell completely in love with, that I have like the deepest relationship with, has got 18 exploratory mining licenses in its headwaters. There are councils out west that want to dam part of the tributaries and pipe water out west for big ag uh, and industry, and I can't let that happen. And so I've, with a, a very dear friend of mine, um, Daniel Ross, who's an ex-World Tour professional, he's a global ambassador for Patagonia, um, we're producing a film with Patagonia on the, the beauty of the river, why it's important that we look after it and ultimately to rally community around preventing these companies that are coming here, um, currently exploring and planning to open cut mine on the banks of the river. So um, I found myself on a real, um, I guess, activism journey in the last little while um and it doesn't feel like I've got a choice it feels like all of these things are going to happen unless we disrupt them and prevent them from happening so um I'm really excited for this film to be finished I'm excited for people to see how beautiful this place is um and to take people to to sections of country that the average person doesn't get to see well, it's kind of a perfect segue because I really wanted to talk about your initiatives. Um, so, so care for Clarence. Yeah, care How for did that Clarence. come about? That was something that was so dear to my heart, and I guess that really ties in with this. Um, you know, the the river. I pulled that off, and I was a complete beginner when I had the idea to do that. And this project was very much the same. Um, 
we where I live, I live in the middle of a national park. We were really impacted by the Black Summer bushfires. We it was a miracle we didn't lose our house, but our we had the fire all around us. And even though the four walls of our home um, were ultimately saved, it very much felt like our home burned to the ground. The, the National Park was incinerated. We lost so much habitat. We're lucky enough to have a local koala population as well, which is just rare. You know, the more we urbanise and clear land and um, move into the spaces where they are, the more we're losing them. And then to have a devastating fire event like we had in the Black Summer bushfires was, I mean, we were deeply grieving um, after the fires. And so I didn't know what I needed to heal, but planting trees felt like a good way to do it or at least to begin. And um, so initially as a family, we thought that we would... Um, just plant trees together, just go out and plant trees. And I realised in in learning about what types of trees to plant, how to um, make sure we were planting things that were contributing to the local ecology and not harming it, um, I, you know, there were quite a lot of conversations happening and I realised, well, maybe we could actually turn this into something that other people can come and join in on and heal from as well. And so we started to dream a little bit bigger with the project and um, we partnered with the New South Wales Koala Strategy and then we got to work with experts in the field that could tell us what to plant, where to plant, how to plant. And so we ended up on this really beautiful journey of learning and connecting deeper to country in this area. Um, we then we were hit with the pandemic, which was challenging because all of a sudden we couldn't come together in groups and heal as communities. We had to go out two by two and plant trees. And but that was all right. You know, we we handled that. Um, we handled that and we adapted and um, we ended up delivering a beautiful project. We planted over 5,000 endemic koala and nectar feeder food trees. Um, and it was such a beautiful healing journey. It was everything that I dreamed that it would be and so much more. Um, we were able to help people that had lost their jobs through COVID to come and plant trees and come together. And um, we had all these beautiful landholders that opened their gates for us to come and plant trees on their properties. And it was, um, yeah, I'm incredibly proud of it. It was a beautiful project and yeah. and it was healing. It, it really was. Planting trees was um, something I think in your mind it seems like a romantic thing to do, but the reality of it was just even more beautiful. And planting trees that will, you know, all going well, that can live for, you know, many hundreds of years is an incredible yeah. legacy feeling. Absolutely. And so that project has come to an end yes that one in its current form has come to an end now so those little trees are all weaving towards right. the light um, out where they are and um, yeah it, that, that's been really beautiful and I love that that the project that we did has inspired other projects as well yeah. so it's nice to know that the ripple effect from that project we produced a short film of it there are other communities and other locales that are now undertaking similar projects so that's been just really, really lovely to, to ponder. And Absolutely. 
and that that came from a single thought yeah single thought yeah it really really did Mm. and yeah I I love I love it when that happens I mean that's where all the good things come from you know one tiny seed (laughs) yeah that's right exactly um I re I really want to talk about a recent trip that you came back from um and it was organized by a woman who I'm also deeply inspired by another woman, Samantha Gash. Her company organized this adventure in the Northern Territory. Can you tell us about that little adventure? Oh, we've just come back from the most incredible experience. Um, it's been a little while since I've I've taken off and, and done a trip. And when Sam, who's a, a beautiful friend of mine, uh, I got the call up from her to pilot this offering that she's releasing through her business, Her Trails. Um, she pulled together eight really dynamic women doing different things from around the country um, to come out on this trip, and it was it was fantastic. We were so spoiled. I mean, the women, the women themselves, like we could have probably been anywhere, and we would have had a really shifting, beautiful experience together. The women were incredible, and um, we each led. A, yeah, a facilitation for the other seven women. So we all put forward a little bit of who we are and shared our skills with each other. And so we, I feel like we could have done that anywhere and had a really great time. Um, and then add to that the Northern Territory. It was my first time on the Red Dirt. I'd never been there before. It was, um, it felt very much like a pilgrimage for me. It felt like I was journeying to the heartlands, to the centre of my country and um and I hoped that I would be moved and I couldn't have imagined how much um we had a beautiful few days when we first arrived just kind of settling and sinking in and coming down off the travel and life in general and then um I think yeah the most powerful part for me by far was going out on Aranda country with um, a beautiful grandfather and his grandson, Jangala and Parula from Larapinta culture. Um, and they welcomed us to their country and they guided us over their land. And we did um, some of the more challenging sections of the Larapinta trail, which was a fantastic adventure. I mean, it's a brilliant, brilliant hike. If um, yeah, if you want to push yourself, it's a, it's a good one to do it on with incredible landscape. And the it, it was funny because it had this feeling of like being on an, another planet altogether and yet it was the most quintessential Australian landscape um, there is. Uh, the So Australia rose in the middle first. The country we were on was very much the oldest part of this continent and knowing how old Australia itself is. I mean, I was reflecting on it later thinking, you know, if the Amazon is the lungs of the planet, then, you know, where we were, our under country, that area, it's the beating heart of the planet, the oldest country with the oldest stories. And we were talking before about, you know, if if you listen, it speaks. It's, it's one of those places that if you really, really drop in, it'll blow you away. It was... We would need many hours and a campfire yeah. and some red wine or something like that for me to really go into like wow. how shifting that was. But Amazing. Was how long was it? A week. We did a full it week out there. Yeah. 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 Could you stay longer? 
definitely and I can't wait to take my family back I really um because I'm always journaling I was writing my experiences down and then I came home and I've been reading my journals to my sons and they're desperate to go out they've my eldest is um he's he loves to draw like I, I, just as I love to write he's prolifically drawing and um I read some some things from my journal and um and then I'd I'd been at training and I got home and in his art book he'd drawn these things that I'd explained to him in my journal these beautiful landscapes that were like just as I'd seen them it was just so beautiful I can't wait to yeah Yeah. I can't wait to take the kids out there and let them feel it for themselves oh Hayley this has been such a wonderful chat thank you so much for joining me I've loved every minute um if people want to find you and find out more about um you know what you've done and the journeys that you've been on and are going on where can they find you Thank you so much for having me, Jackie. It has been such a pleasure. Um, I guess I'm probably the most active on Instagram, I think, because it's just the nature of it so quick and easy. I think um, I don't have to, I tried to have a website and I tried to post on that, but I, <laughs> I'm a bit slack on that. So <laughs> probably my Instagram, Hayley Talbot. We'll, we'll put the put that in the show notes for sure because you've got some incredible photos of uh, of that last adventure as well they're really beautiful I really I did I had so many beautiful moments out there and um yeah and I've got heaps more to share as well so yeah uh, yeah thank you um to finish off what is what what message do you want to send to people out there and or, or who do you want to inspire the most that's such a great question, I guess, um, and a challenging question too. I think mm. of like, I'm, I, I feel personally challenged by the word inspire because I think like, I don't, I, I, don't, I don't know if you can set out to inspire. I think that is something that's very much belongs to where what you're doing lands and, and how people synthesise what they perceive you're doing. Um, I, I really, as I get older, I'm most concerned with being a person of consequence where I am. You know, I can't, I can't fix everything in the world or change everything or do, you know, when, you, when I was younger, I was so much more idealistic. But now I know that I can function in my community and be someone that does small things with great love and that's enough. And in doing that, in trying my best and following my truth, and setting the best possible example I can set, people will see that and they might choose to try um, to invoke that somehow in their own life. And if that's what inspiration is, well, um, that's a matter for for whoever interprets it that way. But I realise now that by following my truth, I never could have imagined doing that river and achieving that dream um, would lead to the connections that it's led to. So I guess that's it, you know. Work out who you are, follow your truth, work out what your greatness is and be your best at it. That's that's enough, I reckon. Well, that's pretty damn amazing. You inspire me. Thank you so much for, for chatting with me today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me, Jackie. I've loved it. Thank you. What an incredible conversation. Hayley truly shines when she speaks. Hearing her story is just so inspiring. And it just goes to show 
anyone can achieve anything as long as you have the commitment and dedication and honest appreciation and understanding of what you're doing and of course the right preparation going in and she's proved that that's what it takes as she continues to achieve her goals she's just incredible i hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as i did if you did please share it with your friends who love adventures because this one is sure to inspire them make sure you check her out at Hayley Talbot on Instagram if you want to get in touch with me at Jackie Tan underscore RMT. I hope you have a wonderful day, week, month and year and here's to a world of bodies built better. Mm-hmm.